0: In today's question and answer episode, I deal with your questions around what can businesses do to pivot in a crisis, how to approach a potential client in a respectful way, I share secrets on how I learn things, what to do when you're approached by a business investor who tries to offer you equity instead of payment, and lots of other things all around design and creativity. If you have any questions for me, I'd love to have them. Visit anchor.fm forward slash education and leave me a message. Hi Thad, my question for you today is how do you learn in the most effective way? How do you stay fresh uh, and updated with all that's going on in your industry and what is the most effective way for you to absorb and interpret information? I'm really curious about that. Thank you. So I think I'll start by answering how do you stay up to date with all the latest information in your industry? Like anything, I think, you know, from a practical point of view, it's worth um, you know, signing up to industry newsletters, joining industry groups, and following industry thought leaders on LinkedIn and Instagram and wherever. And if you tune in to the right people, you will effectively turn all your social feeds into your own bespoke industry news feed which is great because it keeps you on top of kind of uh, what's happening and it means that you can be, you know, involved and commenting and sharing all kinds of good industry news, which is going to, you know, like I said, give you give you the chance to have your finger on the pulse and things to talk about when you meet your, you know, your ideal target market. Um, so <clears throat> for me, that's always a good thing. I think it's always good to find a couple of people that you respect and kind of can follow. Uh, for me, I think, it there aren't going to be many massive surprises. I'm I'm a big fan of people like Gary Vaynerchuk and Seth Godin and Grant Cardone and all those kind of people. The the thing is, I think that where it begins to tip over, and I think this this sort of leans into how do you learn, is if you have too many of those people, it can become exhausting um, because you will always be kind of if you think each one person is putting out regular content, telling people what to do, probably teaching what they know all that kind of stuff. And I think that if you're picking up that from one person, that's already quite a lot. So take Gary Vaynerchuk, for example. If you were listening to him every day, that's a lot of stuff to be taking in and kind of even you know, acting upon. If you add another three people into the mix, it's, it's exhausting. And I think that what can happen, and I certainly have been a victim of this in the past, is you get information overwhelmed where you're just too busy consuming it. You're not actually doing anything with it. And I'm guilty of of hoarding information and even signing up for courses that I don't really take because I want access to them because I think it might be, you know, valuable in the future. So what I would say is um, you pick maybe one or two people that you really respect and stay tuned into them for six months and see how you find it. The big test of all of this and, you know, gathering information, it's one thing to kind of share what you've learned and there's a very different thing of teaching what you know. And the difference is simply to teach something you know, you need to have done it and failed at it in order to find out what to do to succeed at it. And I think this is where the kind of theory and the practical element comes in. And so the big difference is always going to be whatever you are learning, you need to be trying to apply that in some way because I guarantee you, what if you do exactly what they say, um, it won't work. It's a bit like cooking a recipe. I can follow a chef... And I can watch his videos and follow his recipes to the letter. But because I'm not that experienced at cooking, I don't know where I'm going wrong. And it's only when a professional chef comes in and can taste it and go, oh, you need more salt or you need more sugar. And this is where my wife, who is a really good cook, can come in. I can spend hours making a spaghetti sauce And she will come in and within about three minutes will have fixed it, as we call it, and it will taste amazing. I don't quite know what she does, but she's able to taste it, realise what it's lacking and add it and make it amazing. And that comes from years of actually doing it. And I think this is the key to learning anything. It's doing it. So for me, I tend to learn best through exploration and trying to work it out. So I don't like to follow instructions. I know that drives my dad crazy. But I prefer to figure it out and I I assume that whatever's been designed has been intuitively designed enough for me to work it out. I will often watch videos and then I will apply it and do it. But I often find the best way to learn anything and to actually remember it is to um, apply it in a real setting. So I would quite often, so for example, when I wanted to learn and deepen my knowledge around sort of the more strategic approach to branding and brand strategy, um, I would be you know, I'd conduct probably 10 or so free online workshops with clients and friends just to learn the skills. And then I had to tweak, you know, kind of what I was doing in order to improve it and work for me. I kind of believe that as your knowledge of something deepens, you pick up on other things that you possibly miss first time around. So for example, if if I was learning um, brand strategy, and um, the future has a, a course called core, the first time I will go through it, I will pick up on certain things. I will do it, apply it, adjust it to suit me, and then I might revisit that in a couple of years' time and go, "Oh, I totally missed this bit and build that back in and you soon kind of realize that it's a combination of actually doing it, getting it wrong, fixing it so it works, and then just doing it your own way and that's true of everything, whether it's learning to d j you nothing beats doing it, and also doing it in a club because you learn about the fact that no one's really listening and you learn about what records to play when. The whole point is that you've got to apply the learning in some sort of pressure situation. So you're forced to think on your feet and you there is no room for kind of like, hold on, stop, can we do that again? That kind of, you know, you learn in the moment very quickly. And this would be everything from football coaching, anything. You know, you can read the books on how to do the drills. You can plan the drills and draw them out. It's only when you're on the pitch doing them that you realise, oh, this is different from the video I watched or it didn't go like this when I planned it. So in order to correct that, you have to have a fair amount of knowledge amassed and then you can correct it, learn from it, reflect and do it differently. So for me, the way I learn is by doing. I am awful at reading books and not doing much with them or certainly coming back to them later. But I do think if I ever am serious about something, I absolutely jump into it and I become obsessive and I try and learn it. And that's been the same, whatever I've done, whether that's been design, advertising, DJing, running restaurants, um, coaching, whatever. You have to throw yourself into it. You have to pick out learning. And as you go, and you have to test that learning in a pressured environment so that you're going to have to basically fail at it. uh, And the pressure of failing forces you to become creative. And I think that's it really. So it's always Keep up to date with the information, in your knowledge, limit the sources of information so you don't get overwhelmed and actively set time aside to be applying that knowledge, um, even in little form, whatever works for you. Um, For example, to finish off what I would say, if I wanted to improve my public speaking, I deliberately um, booked a slot at an expo with a uh, with a speaking slot on purpose and because I had to deliver that meant I forced myself to get a public speaking coach and then I would force myself to actually do the public speaking talk and I'll be completely honest it didn't go as as well as I hoped because the event was chaotic and I didn't promote it as well um, you know but it meant that if I hadn't forced myself to do it I never would have got the speaking coach I never would have gone to the event and the whole time Um, there's always a bit where you want to go, oh, I could just cancel this, or I don't want to do this. And, you know, it's the pushing past the fear and the adversity is uh, so important because, you know, I learned the value of, you know, you can do speaking at an event, but if no one's promoting it, no one will really turn up and pay attention. So that's important. Also, what you planned in the speech isn't how it worked out in the room because of whatever happened, technical difficulties and things. So you learn all of that and you only learn it by doing it. So, as I said, I, I think you've got to take bite-sized bits of learning and actively apply them before you can really cement it. And then that's what I mean by um, teaching what you know and not doing what so many other people do, which is to regurgitate the thoughts of other people just because they've read books. Um, Those people will always be failing. Um, They have what's called Dunning-Kruger syndrome and they will think they're brilliant and they will talk about themselves a lot and tell you how brilliant they are. But the reality is that they're too probably scared or they haven't done it in the real world. And if they're pushed at all, they'll easily be exposed. But they live in a world of showing off online with no accountability. And that's fine. But, you know, I despise that type of person. Hi, Thad. COVID-19 may have impacted the business goals of many entrepreneurs. How can they get back on track and or revise their goals during these uncertain times? Thank you. I think if you're entrepreneurial by nature, you're fairly used to being responsive to trends and dealing with setbacks. I think something like COVID-19 is fairly unprecedented. And as you can see from all around us, people are being put into situations they've never been put into before. I think that the thing is, it's always good to be, well, look, First of all, the thing is, if you're looking at your business, it's always good every sort of quarter to be trying to work out where can we make improvements. Doing a kind of role play brainstorm where you imagine that you are going to start up a rival company, going to launch into the same industry and you're going to try and put yourself out of business. And if you can role play that and try and think, okay. What are we struggling with? Where are our blind spots? What do our customers want? You know, can we provide a solution that's going to suit them? That's always going to be helpful. Can you impose restrictions on your business, such as what would happen if we had to deliver this all through our Instagram account? Or what happens if this was only online? Or how would we run this business in another country if we can never visit? Things like that. They, they force you to think differently and sort of um, question and road test your system and all your processes of delivery so that they're all really thorough and solid. Um, I think that, again, with entrepreneurial people, what you've got to be doing is you've probably got to just scrap most of your plans and start again. Um, you're going to have to plan, I would say, in increments. So you're going to have to look 90 days, but then break that into 30 and possibly weekly goals. And you're going to have to be really focused about what you want to be you know, committed to doing. It's always going to be looking for opportunities for collaboration with others, trying to pivot to work with industries that are thriving um, and matchmaking businesses that need help and can actually help each other. So I think in these kind of things, you're just looking to kind of go, well, what, how could I evolve my current business just to survive? And then I think, how can I actually go again and actually look to take advantage and expand and maybe expand into new markets and what do I need to do? But this is all a case of, unfortunately, researching industries that are doing quite well. Um, and again, as you would approach any industry, try and find out where there is opportunity for you to help them. And if that means you've got to pivot what you offer, then I think you have to do that. You know, that it is the whole thing of the people use the analogy of when the first car came along. And before that, it was, you know, horse drawn carriages, just because you decided to bring out a new set of really cool horse buggy whips or better wheels, or like, you know, better looking horse carriages, you are innovating to a certain degree, but in an industry that's going to go out of business. So I think you've always got to be looking to shift and move into other industries. And usually it's transferable learning, it's transferable skills. And the way you can do that is by getting out of your own head, uh, going with a partner and role playing as if you were going to enter that industry, so in the same way that I would encourage you to kind of role play to put yourself out of business, I would role play to see what you would need to do in and launch in another industry and then look at your infrastructure and your resources to see okay, can we, is this viable? Do we have the sort of facilities and tools and people and experience and network in order to do that and I would start to do it. I think it's um, such a volatile world, but the it you know like anything. Those who innovate and evolve survive, those who don't die. So I'm afraid it's a case of you're going to have to keep innovating and those cycles are going to get shorter over time. But like anything, um, that's going to make you a leaner, faster and more impressive entrepreneur. And, you know, so this might be the making of you. So like I said, it's all about staying positive, building relationships and looking to create short innovation cycles so you can keep your, your business and everything flexible and dynamic. Hi Thad. There are some graphic designers that only want to focus on developing logos, icons, and things of that nature. With brand strategy becoming a buzzword in the industry and more graphic designers pivoting towards including that service, do you think that a designer sticking to just designing logos is a sustainable career path? Why or why not? Thanks. You can absolutely make it as a logo designer. You don't have to do brand strategy. I can see the sort of um, the attractiveness of brand strategy because, you know, you can be brought in earlier in the project to deliver a vital piece of work that's valuable to the project and be paid very well for doing it. Um, But like I said, it's one of those things that I don't think you have to offer both to do well. And I'd have to say that when it comes to logo design... There's plenty of people out there who do exceptionally well just offering that because like anyone, they've honed their craft over many years. And if you're fortunate enough and you've managed to work with, say, a promising startup that's grown, your reputation will improve as that startup grows. So if you look at someone like Mackie Saturday, who did the Instagram logo years ago, he would have done very well off the back of that and it would have helped him land more work because the next company that comes along They're going to say, who did you get to do our logo? And it'll be, I got the kid that did the Instagram logo. Now they will go and tell their customers and all their friends and that gives them kudos and they feel happy about themselves. And so in the same way that you would hire a chef who'd worked under a famous chef or had a Michelin star or was on MasterChef, it's a shorthand way of describing how good you are. In order to get good and get sought after, you're going to have to partner with um, impressive entrepreneurs and startups. And maybe, you know, if you can partner with an early startup that seems to grow and do well, that's a really good way in. It's always down to relationships and who you know. So getting to know the right people will get you more opportunities. And then showcasing what you're doing uh, in a really attractive way that, again, reinforces the impact your work can have on the business um, is always going to help sell you, you know, because you can quite rightly say if a brand has grown and your logo design played a role in that because it it targeted the right people within a, the specific industry. Then you should talk about that because that's you know you did play a, a role in that success. I think with all these things, like I said, it it comes down to honing your craft and spending a long time getting really good at logo design, um, and that's just years of doing it. That's just years of elimination and knowing what will and won't work, and like a good chef or sportsman people at the top of their field make it look easy because they they know what will and won't work they've made lots of mistakes and like i said if your work is aesthetically pleasing and you're able to get your compositions well balanced and the, all the proportions beautifully done and appropriate then that's that's a you know that's an, a skill and a craft to be respected and if that comes across that will be obviously clearly you're talented you partner that with your reputation and results which is kind of like who you're working with and what that does for them and then finally it's always about who you know so if you're nurturing your network and getting to know the right people i think all of those things will come together to cement your reputation as a fantastic logo designer and the the agencies will just come to you with the strategy bit done with the brief and you just fulfill that so like i said it's absolutely possible to have a extremely successful lucrative career as a logo designer but it's only going to be like the same reasons Anyone who is successful musician, whoever, it's because they've spent years learning the craft and they have a track record of success. Hi, Thad. So when clients come to you and they want a discount, usually they offer you partnership shares. But what does it mean when they want to invest in you in exchange for a discount? So surely if they have the money, shouldn't they just pay for your services? Thanks. The immediate red flag for me is they want a discount, but they also want to invest. I'm really sceptical about this kind of approach because if you can't afford to pay for my services, where are you going to get money to invest and why are you investing in me? But then our first kind of engagement is one where you're going in asking for a deal. I think it seems to me that anyone who has this approach I would take as pretty sketchy. Um, I think it's really strange. And, you know, let's break it down. If they invest in you... Then, what does that mean? Does that mean they give you equity in their company or they put money into your company? Now, judging by the fact they want a discount, it probably means they're going to offer you equity in their own company, which again is probably not something you want because you don't have much control over that equity. You don't know how much it's worth. You haven't had it officially valued. It's quite a complicated process. And with all these things, if they are struggling for cash now, there's a good chance they're going to go out of business soon because, you know, if they haven't got enough investment, why are they asking for a discount? That also leads me onto the thing of like going in asking for a discount, I think is a bit crap. Um, I think with all these things, if I tried that approach in a restaurant, uh, they would tell me to leave. I think if I tried that approach with any business, they would ask, they would probably say no. Um, so why should designers be any of the same? I think you can offer to reduce the scope or maybe give them a range of options to suit their budget. But I think um, just accepting a discount is is out of the question. I think that anyone who would lead with a discount is rude, so I wouldn't want to do business with them. So for me, I have a lot of red flags with this kind of relationship because I'm wondering, why are you short of money? Why are you being disrespectful? And I don't see how any of this can actually be sort of quantified and justified and explained because you can easily change your quote to reduce the fee In half an hour for them to sort of come and you know deliver on their side of the partnership that's going to take a lot of time because they they're going to need independent valuation they don't know how much they're going to give you it's all hearsay and speculative it's all probably nonsense so i think in any of these kind of relationships i would say no and i think generally as a rule i would be really really um skeptical about accepting investment in a company or equity in a company sorry because you have very little control over that, um, there's no point in them giving you a chunk of the com- company and then they don't listen to what you say or you have a very small role in deciding how that company behaves uh, because they can say it's worth twenty thousand pounds, but if they screw up the company and it's worth nothing, then it's worth nothing. I would also say that don't accept discounts. I'll be honest, I've I've absolutely discounted my work if I've seen it, it's appropriate, but I feel it's it's my decision to make, and I would always go on, along the lines of. I'll reduce the scope rather than give you a discount. Because once you start discounting your work, it devalues it. And I think people who are kind of looking for a deal or are very financially minded um, are probably not wanting to invest in you as kind of as a unique you know, person and they really value your work. I think they're more balancing the books. So although I understand that and there might be a limited budget, the question has always got to be, what is your budget? I will let you know what I can do for that budget and then we can decide if we want to carry on working together. But with all these people, I would really, really be anxious, and I would absolutely um, have everything in writing be legally solid. Don't accept the investment or anything like that, and don't discount. And if you're struggling to get out of the situation because they're putting you under pressure, or you or their friends, or you know them, or, or for whatever reason, use my old classic big bad wolf strategy and come up with a fictional business coach who you say, I would love to take this deal, but my business coach won't allow me to do it. So unfortunately, I can't. I'm terribly sorry. And put all the emphasis and blame on your fictional business coach, uh, who is this elusive shadowy figure in the background who they can't meet or talk to, who is acting on your best interest. So even if that's me, if you want me to be that person, I'm always happy to be to do that role for people because I'm not emotionally invested and I can be as perfectly as independent and offish as need be. But like I said, with all these kind of things, anyone who leads with a discount, I'd say no, and absolutely uh, never accept equity instead of cash. Hi, Dad, What's the best tactic to reach out to a potential client if you've only met them a few times? Say you only have their phone number and address. Would you call or stop by their office? What's the best and most effective way to reach out to them? Thanks. I think with all these things, it depends on the person and what they respond to and how your relationship came about. So there's lots of variables there. But to break it down, Um, Most people, you would probably, as they say, warm them up by sending them a message, uh, just reminding them of who you are and how you connected. If it's through friends, that's really nice and easy. Um, If it was from an event, you know, you you can follow up and remind them. I think it's probably a case of getting them on several channels, uh, several, you know, types from email to Instagram, you know, DMing to LinkedIn messaging to, you know, whatever it might be. I think you make contact and with all these things, it's all about going in with something which is going to be important to them um, and is going to offer value to them and leading with what they're interested with first. So it's never, I need you to help me do this. It's more a case of, I'd love to have a chat because I've got an idea that could really help you or could I interview you for any reason or can I help with something? You know, I think it's just the, the intent has always got to be to help them. And I think you've just got to be patient and respectful and try and get to them um, through multiple channels, and then you'll find one that works. And like anything, it might be that, you know, I'd always recommend starting off slowly, uh, liking their posts, you know, sending a message, being visible, um, maybe having a conversation online in the comments, and then escalating that to being kind of, I'm going to be in your town, I'd love to grab you for five minutes for a coffee, is that okay? And just escalating that, you know, to the face-to-face interaction. And then from there, you can probably carry it on digitally over email for a bit. Um, But with all these things, you have to be respectful of their time. So it's swift and to the point. You have to make it valuable to them. So ways that you can help them um, or introduce them to people or your ideas. So this will take time evaluating what they're interested in, what their business needs, you know, looking at their kind of website, social media, all that kind of stuff to find the opportunities. And then, like I said, it's being respectful and patient um, and just gradually warming up the conversation levels and then keeping in touch. But intent is everything, you know, cold calling, cold email isn't gonna work. I think people always appreciate it if you're respectful and they're more likely to listen to you if um, you've got something of value to offer. So I think in this case, if they're an important connection, it's all about being respectful and leading with value and just trying a multi-pronged approach to see which works because everyone is different and everyone you know, uses different platforms for different functions. And if you can attack them on all of them politely, um, then I think that's always a good strategy. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did making it I'm a, I am ai love these Q&A episodes so in order for them to happen I need your questions so if you'd like to leave me a question please do so by visiting anchor.fm forward slash and there's a little option to click on the message and you can leave me a voicemail or alternatively you can send me an email to thad as always I recommend that you join me in the Facebook group by searching Education on Facebook and apart from that Like every time, I would love your help growing the podcast. So if you could share it with someone who might enjoy it or subscribe or rate me on iTunes, it would mean the world to me. Have a great day and I will speak to you soon.